listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. As many of you know, last week we kicked off a brand new sermon series called Outside the Circle. And last week was an amazing message. I was watching it in Red River sitting at uh, the dining room table with some coffee because we're an hour behind y'all. Uh, we were an hour behind y'all there, and so I was just waking up, getting some coffee, hanging out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it must be nice, right? Um, and so, so I, w- I was listening to the message, and man, the message last week was so good. And, and this is something that Pastor Jason and I have been talking about for, for a couple months now, this sermon series. And, and he, uh, I cannot express to you how disappointed he was that he wasn't going to be here for two of the four weeks of this, this sermon series um, because he, he really wanted to... Eliza, not right now. Um, and so he really wanted to, uh, to, to be bringing these messages. And so um, we're going to dive right in to, to week two, okay? So um, if I were to draw a circle around your feet, is what that is inside that circle, is, is what's in that circle, is that enough for you? Is that enough for your family? Is that enough for you to attain what you see success as? Is it enough to be everything God made you to be? Is it enough? And the answer is no. The answer is no. It's not. Because remember John 15, 5. It says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to have relationship with God. We need to be outside of, of our strengths and what we think we can do on our own and have connection with, with, with Jesus, with the Father, because it's only through Him that, that things can be accomplished, that we can have purpose, that we can feel content in life. See, what's wild is we know this verse. If you grew up in church, I'm sure you've heard at least one sermon over John chapter 15, at least one, if not 15 right? Like John chapter 15 is one of those, those chapters that people love to preach on, right? So we know this verse, yet we consistently try to live the opposite of this verse, right? I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, we operate at a high level of self-assurance thinking we can do anything without Jesus. How many times when something goes wrong, do you rely on yourself? How do you know if you're trusting in Jesus or something else? Well, simple. When a problem comes, what you really trust is revealed. When an unexpected bill hits, where do you run? Do you go to God first? Do you pray and seek and say, God, will you provide for this? Will you you bring provision for this? Or do you start hitting up all your friends? Hey, can I borrow 10 bucks? Hey, can I borrow 10 bucks? Hey, can I borrow 10 bucks? Right? apparently (laughs) a health emergency do you pray and seek God are you asking him for to come in and provide healing whether that's through doctors and medication or whether that's through divine intervention are you praying that he would come in and take care of the situation or are you leaning on your own understanding a misunderstanding with a friend or family we know what, what Matthew chapter 18 says. 
If you have an issue, go to them. Talk to them. And if it works out, you've gained a brother. But many times, what do we do? We just cut them off and move on. See, too often, oh, sorry, what you reach for, for first is what you worship. What you reach for first is what you worship. It's what you think will save the day, whether that's money. I know for a long time, um, I've said this here before, I know for a long time I've had, I, I was in a season of my life where I had more peace with cash in my wallet than I did with the presence of Jesus. Because I was so worried about money and having it and, and worried that I wasn't going to be able to provide. It wasn't until I realized that I was not the provider in the first place. I was misappropriating a tool God gave me to live life and trying to find peace there instead of finding peace in him. See, too often that thing we worship is what is inside the circle. It's what builds that circle around us. But remember from last week, if you want to grow, if you want to be poured out, if you want to change, it requires you looking outside that circle. We have to eliminate the circle. We have to just get rid of it. We have to erase it. We have to look outside that circle and not be so focused on where our feet are planted that we're missing everything going on outside of it. This past week, Pastor Jason gave you some practical steps on how to look outside that circle. If you want to grow, ask Jesus and a friend what they think you need to do to get to the next level. You know, for me... One of the things that I'm, I'm working on is focus. When it comes to work and family and all these things, I have so many distractions that, that keep me from being present in the moment. This past week, it was really funny, um, my, my screen time usage was down while I was in the mountains because I was skiing and I didn't have my phone on me and all, all that stuff. And, and uh, one of the days, I couldn't get to my phone and I fell so hard that my phone thought I was in a car crash and called 911 for me. And so I'm like on the side of this mountain, like taking off layers, trying to get to my phone so I can take it out and tell them I wasn't injured. Right? And while those, those things, I was, I was so present in the moment that it took me almost 15 minutes to realize that I had called 911. It wasn't until my phone started, like, I guess they have something where they can send an alert to where it will blare, like your phone will just, like, start going off. And I was like, what is this horn? And I realized it was coming from my pocket. And, and so I had, to, I had to, like, call them and tell them everything's fine, I'm good, when really I wasn't good. My shoulder has been hurting ever since. But, but I was like, I'm good, everything's fine, you don't need to, don't need to send an ambulance, I'm not, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm a man. I'm getting down this mountain, you know, like, even if I'm crying. No, I'm just joking. Um, and I wasn't crying, I promise. Um, <laughs> I love the belief in me. I just really, um, and, so, and so for me, it's focus. Because when it comes to God, if I focus on him first in my day, then I, it's, it, he, he gives me the ability to see the, the way the enemy's trying to trip me up and trap me. If I focus on my family, I'm less stressed. I'm more content. I'm happy. If I focus on my work, I don't run into problems. 
I don't run into unexpected surprises. Right? That's right, Eliza. If you want to be poured out, join a serve team and start using gifts, talents, and abilities to help move the kingdom. See, serving is the greatest step we can take. When we pour ourselves out for others, that is when we find the best and most fulfilling moments in life. Man, the most fulfilling moment is when I get to see somebody that has come in and is better than me at what, what we're doing, and I get to help them move along. I was having a conversation with somebody this past week, and I told them, look, I just want, wherever you go, I just want you to be able to stand on my shoulders and start at the highest point I got to. At, at my best, I want you to be able to start at my best so you can go further than I ever thought. Because that's what's most fulfilling, is being able to, to be a pioneer and make a way for somebody to get further than you ever, ever dreamed of. If you want to change, identify a habit or identify one habit or rhythm in your life that needs adjusting. This is something we discussed as a staff this past week. I was driving, you know, home and I was in the car and we were on staff meeting and and Pastor Jason asked us this question. And I had to think about it for a second. And for me, the one habit or rhythm that I'm adjusting is where I put God in my day. And so when I first wake up, the first thing I do, I'm not grabbing my phone and looking at TikTok. I'm not scrolling on Instagram. I'm not getting on Facebook. I'm not texting people back. I'm, I'm leaving my phone down, and I'm going and grabbing my Bible, and I'm grabbing my soap journal. And I, I'm, I'm taking 15 minutes to read his word and have him speak to me. And then another 15 to 20 minutes to pray and focus in on him and, and just listen to what he's trying to say and where he's trying to direct me. And there's so much joy and fulfillment and peace that comes from that. But I have to step outside of my circle, my comfort, to be able to do that. Because everything in me, there, there's so much of the enemy trying to stop me from doing that. Because when I access his word, I live a more empowered life. When I access his word, I live a more victorious life. And what does the enemy want to do with me? He wants me to lose. He wants me to not focus on him. Because when I begin to focus on him, that means I'm living in purpose. It means potential has become purpose, and I get to move forward in what he wants me to do. I get to impact the kingdom every step that I take. And does the enemy want that? No. He wants me to stay right where I'm at, nice and comfortable, scrolling on TikTok and getting distracted by dumb videos. That's, that's what the enemy wants. There's nothing wrong with you know, scrolling on TikTok and finding dumb videos and letting, you know, helping your friends laugh and all that stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. If that's not your main focus in life, if that hasn't become an idol in your life, if it hasn't turned into idolatry in your life. See, all of, all of this is designed to get you thinking outside the circle around your feet. And remember, the more you focus on inside the circle, the more you miss that God has for you outside the circle. Are you missing potential being fulfilled in your life because you're focused where your feet are instead of focus where God wants to take you? But if you focus on what is outside the circle, God will take care of what is inside the circle. 
See, I think so many times we get focused on sin habits and issues and junk we're dealing with and that we just become so internally focused that we never take steps forward. And it's like, no, if we would take the step forward and do what God is asking us to do, this stuff over here would be taken care of as a byproduct of of obedience. And that's what Pastor Jason was talking about last week. Just obedience to God and everything else is taken care of. So we know we need to look outside the circle, and we know why we need to, but there are always attacks from the enemy, either directly, through stumbling blocks, or other ways he's trying to get us. They're designed to keep us from being able to live outside the circle. The goal is ultimately for you to completely ignore the circle so that your life becomes generous and kingdom-focused. We've got to ignore the circle so we can become generous and kingdom focused. In the same way your brain ignores your nose, God wants you to ignore that circle. See, when you learn to ignore that circle and begin living beyond it, it stops many of the blocks that keep you from filling your purpose in Christ. When you learn to ignore the circle and begin living beyond it, it It stops many of the blocks that keep you from filling your purpose in Christ. Blocks like entitlement, isolation, selfishness. These are all tricks and traps designed by the enemy to keep you inwardly focused so you never grow in your purpose. See, I want to spend the next, I want to spend the time we have today talking about the contrast between selfishness and service within the context of, of focusing outside the circle. So selfishness versus service. I don't know a single person who likes a selfish person. Who likes to hang out with somebody that's just like, hey, let's make this about me. Hey, I know you really want to go see this movie, but that doesn't matter because we're going to go eat Chinese food. Because I really want Chinese food. Right? Like, I know you really love salt grass, but we're going to Texas Roadhouse. Right, like, <laughs> see, Pop's already off. He's like, not that person. <laughs> right? Do you want to do anything to help them? Like, if a selfish person is, uh, so there's, there's a TV show out there called Parks and Rec, and Alexis and I have watched this show like 15 times, okay? And there's an episode where one of the characters named Tom Haverford needs to move, and he gets all the people. He's like, hey, Mark, you got a truck? Hey, you got boxes? Hey, can you bring food? Hey, can you do this? And they're all there to help him. And then they get there, and they load everything up, and there's only like one sane person in the group. And he's like, okay, can you guys help? And like they're following a Roomba that has an iPod glued to it called DJ Roomba around and watching a movie and all this other stuff. And, and Mark is like, can we load the boxes? I want to go. And there's a little cutaway scene that's like buying a truck was the worst decision I ever made because everybody always wants me to help them move, right? And But... Tom is so selfish in this moment because he, he, doesn't, he doesn't help at all. He doesn't do anything. He's literally distracting the people from working by wanting to watch a movie and, and all this other stuff. And Mark is like, my guy, like, let's get this done. Let's go. And at the end of it, something happens to where Tom couldn't move. And he asks everybody to unload the truck. And then he asks Mark, hey, can you be back Monday? And Mark's like, no. And he, he like hops in the truck and leaves. And, but that's what it's like being around selfish people. 
that are so self-centered and self-focused, they have no social awareness to realize that what they're doing is jacked up, that what they're doing is unacceptable. Does their selfishness stop your desire to bless them or be of a help? When you encounter a selfish person, when a selfish person asks you to do something, does it stop your desire to bless them? Well, yeah, they're selfish. Why would I want to bless a selfish person? Like, that's just the real raw answer, right? Like, that's, that's what we're all kind of feeling deep down, but not, nobody really wants to say it, you know? Like, it's, it's we don't talk about Bruno type stuff. And, and see, but that's the thing. So let me ask you this. How do you think God feels about your selfishness? How do you think God feels about the church's selfishness? The same way that you feel? Do you think God wants to bless your selfishness? In 2 Timothy 3, 2 and 5, Paul says this to Timothy. People will become lovers of, the, of self, and then verse 5, avoid such people. See, God doesn't want you selfish, but someone else does. And he has a really good plan for it. He has a really good plan for you to be selfish. If Satan can get you selfish, he can kill your service. If Satan can get you selfish, he can kill your service. Let's, let's use some churchy language here for a second. I just need to be fed. I just need to be, well, I don't, I don't really volunteer on Sundays because I come to church to be fed. I just need to be fed. I've heard this, this saying my whole life. Right, and every time I hear it, you like you could see that moment where a little bit bit of the pastor on the inside dies, like you know, like oh, <laughs> they they're just broken <laughs> because the pastor's like, I'm, I'm giving you opportunity to be fed, but they're so focused where their feet are in the circle that they don't step out to see where the real food is. See. Let's take this one step further. It can drastically limit the amount of blessings you walk in. So if Satan can get you selfish, he can kill your service, but he can also drastically, drastically limit the amount of blessing you walk in. Some of the most bitter people in the world have been the richest, but they're stingy. You know, they're Rockefellers. Towards the end of everything, it was all about like how much they could have and they didn't want to spend anything and, and they, 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 they were some of the richest people in the world and they became, they, they had a poverty mentality. They had excess on excess on excess and they wanted to hoard everything to themselves. Some of the most talented people have wasted away miserably. Because they became selfish with their talent. And that's because there's a stark difference between selfish goals and service goals. Simon Sinek says it like this. Selfish goals 
are things you want to achieve for your own benefit, but service goals are things you want to achieve to help other people. The problem is that selfish goals don't satisfy us in the long run. Selfish goals give us instant gratification, while service goals fulfill purpose and potential over a long period of time. So do you want microwave lifestyle? Where you get everything instantaneously, you get what you want right now? That sounds like fulfilling desire after desire after desire, which is also another plan by the enemy for you. It's to get you in those moments, those weak moments where he can get a knee-jerk reaction out of you and you choose your desire over God. and you, cho- you choose your desire over purpose. You choose your desire over salvation. And in that moment you fall and then what does he do? He comes back in with condemnation on top of that and he keeps you down in that pit. He keeps you down in it. And then you're like, God, I just need freedom. And, and Jesus is like, if you just take the step to the side, just get out of that. See, remember from last week, Jesus and Paul, they were being poured out. That is what actually brings satisfaction. We see this in a very famous Bible passage, the story of the Good Samaritan, Luke 10, 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, golly, why do we always have to do that? Anyways, um, he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You know, like trying to ask a profound question. Who's my neighbor, though? And Jesus replied, I love, I love how Jesus replies, who's my neighbor? And he gives like this really like long story. He, you asked a question that you should have known the answer to, so this is your payback. Like, no, no, that's, not, that's probably not his heart. I'm just joking. Um, but, and Jesus replied, a man is going down to Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead. Now by a chance, a priest was going down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And then and the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think provided or proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell amongst the robbers? He said, The one who showed mercy, and Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. See, we typically see this use this passage to identify our neighbor, but let's focus on the character of the, th- the characters of the three people in the story. So one, we have a priest. The priest played a significant role in standing guard in God's house, making sacrifices for God's people, and instructing the people so that they could enjoy God's blessings. When the priest did their job, God blessed his people. 
But when they failed, God's curses fell on the people. What was the role of the priest in a nutshell? Sacrificial service. Sacrificial service. That, that was his role. Sacrificial service. The second most important core value at freedom is people are the priority. People are the priority. You are the priority. Right? That means we will kill any process, program, or procedure that does not make people feel valued. And not only for congregants, but for our staff as well. This is one of the main reasons we don't have any services on Christmas Eve night or Christmas Day. We want our staff to get to enjoy their family as well. It's one of the main reasons. So if the priest was actually doing what he was called to, he would have dropped everything and help, helped. So why didn't he? If the man was robbed and beaten, was dead, the priest would have come, have become unclean and had to offer sacrifice, then remain outside the temple until he was clean again. In other words, it would have cost him something. He was thanking self, not service. Inside the circle, not outside of it. How many times are we the priest, thinking of self, not service? Thinking of what it's going to cost us instead of just fulfilling what we're supposed to do of sacrificial service. How can we relate that to our lives? What do you, what do you think pleased God more? Risking it to offer service or, or ignoring it to preserve self? Look again at the text to find out. In verse 37, he said, The one who showed him mercy, and Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So what is your service going to cost you? What is your service going to cost you? Is it going to be a couple late nights? Worship team, when they serve, they're up here every Thursday. We got practice. They're here for two hours. And sometimes they've had a bad day. And I, the first like 30 to 45 minutes of the practice is very laid back. I, I, I try to build connection with people and we try to hang out. And sometimes practice is just a train wreck just because sound isn't working right. There's something going on. Like it's just a train wreck and it's messy and it's bad. And if you've had a bad day, the last thing you want to do is sit through two hours of a train wreck. You're just like, I'm going home. Peace. Like I don't want to yell or cuss at anybody. So I'm going home. Like, right? Like, that's, that's how it goes sometimes. We're people. It happens. It's okay. But what is your service going to cost you? See, this is where so many people get held up. But even that question is in the, inside the circle thinking. That's how deep this issue runs in our hearts. We instantly think of what it's going to cost us. Oh, if I volunteer, i got to wake up an extra hour on Sunday. Sundays are really my only day to sleep in. Right? Like, that's what we think about. Rather, the question should be this. What blessing is your service going to create? What blessing is your service going to create? That is outside the circle thinking. When you care more about how you can be a blessing than you do about what it's going to cost you. That's when you start thinking outside the circle. When something happens, how, how, how is this going to be a blessing to other people? 
I'm, I'm going to brag on Pop and Giggy for a second. This isn't in the notes. But one of the things I love about the story of how they uh, moved into their home is when Pop was walking the property and he looked and he said, I see it. And he sees the men's groups and, and, and people hanging out and the people being blessed. And he, he, he was not looking at it was costing him something to move here. He was looking at the fact that it was going to bless others and change generations and, and change marriages and change men and change women and help them move closer to God. That was his thought process. When you care more about how you can be a blessing than you do about what it's going to cost you, that's when you start thinking outside the circle. That's a neighbor God can use. See, we mentioned a priest, so who's next? A Levite. So we have the priest, the Levite, right? So context, what's the difference between a priest and a Levite? Well, all priests are Levites, being selected from the tribe of Levi, but not all Levites are priests. Those Levites who were not priests were assigned duties connected with the tabernacle. They assisted the priest in preparing offerings. They cared for the courts and the chambers of the sanctuary. Later, the Levites were involved in interpreting the law and thus functioning as teachers, which Jesus was not a fan of. Right? Called them brood of vipers, like those guys. Right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, those guys. The Levites were inducted into, into their role through a series of ceremonies that included shaving the body, sacrifice, laying on of hands, and, and presentations of God. Different roles, same attitudes, but with a twist. While the priest didn't want to risk being unclean to serve, the Levite didn't want to serve because it wasn't his job. Have you guys ever like been at work and you had a coworker that's like, oh, that's not my job, I don't have to do that. When it's like, hey, can you, can you hand me that? And they're like, not my job, don't have to do it. And they walk away. It's like, bro, like, come on. It's not like I'm asking you to take on a whole new responsibility here. Right? That, that, that happens. See, how does it make you feel when you see a CEO bending over to pick up some trash in the foyer on the way for, to a business meeting? Or maybe when someone who is above you in a position is more willing to chip in and help even though it isn't their job, right? I've had, I've had bosses where they have chipped in and been there and, and doing things even though they were paying me to do it. They were right there with me working. And then I've had bosses that didn't do anything. And the boss that did Stuff The boss that supported, the boss that helped was the boss I would, I would do anything for. See, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel like they have their priorities straight. It makes you want to serve with them. Imagine the blind man. Imagine Lazarus or the woman with the flow of blood. Imagine the Gentile woman begging for crumbs from the table or the adulteress caught in the act. Now imagine Jesus showed up to the situation and was like, not my job. Sorry. You know, like, you do you, boo-boo. Like, not my, not my thing. See, a castle will never give you what the kingdom can. A castle will never give you what the kingdom can. 
When there's a place in the kingdom, there's no need for walls of a castle. When there's a, a place in the kingdom, there's no need for the walls of a castle. This only happens when you are more concerned with how we can benefit the kingdom more than we are concerned with how we can build our castle. If all you're focused on is what we're building and how it affects you and what's going on in your life, then what's going on in the kingdom and how you're affecting the kingdom and how you're moving forward and listening to those tiny moments, whether you're in Walmart or Academy or whatever store and you, you get this like little feeling that, that you need to go talk to this person or you need to go pray for this person or you need to go do something, right? But in that moment, you're like, oh, that would be embarrassing and so you don't do it. That's inside the circle thinking. Jesus didn't say, not my job. He said, be healed. Come forth. Be forgiven. Go and sin no more. It's drastically important for your purpose that you abandon the inside the circle thinking of the Levite and embrace the outside the circle thinking of the Lord. So we have the priest, we have the Levite. Then there was the Samaritan. Always the ones you don't expect, right? The Jews hated the Samaritans. Like, it wasn't a good thing. Like, so the fact that Jesus is using a Samaritan as his hero of the story to a bunch of Jews, like, I can just imagine the tension in the room. Like, oh my gosh, he said they were, they were good. You know, like, oh my God. Like, oh, I gotta get out of here. Like, type thing. There are a few people on TikTok who go around and ask for a dollar to catch a bus or get some food only to reward the giver with hundreds of dollars when they help. Rarely is it someone of means that's willing to give. It seems it's always a needy person, a homeless person, somebody that's going without that ends up being the person giving. Be very careful that what you have doesn't have you. That job that pays so much is a blessing from God that he wants to use in your life to be able to bless the kingdom, be able to bless others. But if all you're focused on is getting that overtime, baby, so you can continue to build your castle, you're missing on why God provided for you in the first place. We live in a things-focused world and things can make us think and act in ways that are not representative of our heart, of the heart of the Father. All things do is clutter our castles and feed our selfishness. A great question to ask is not, do I want this, but do I need this? I don't mean you can't ever have anything you want. This isn't about legalism, but we have to be careful that instant gratification doesn't turn us into a ravenous monster. We can't use instant gratification to turn us into just this all-consuming beast that all it wants is whatever it wants, whenever it wants it. Remember, God doesn't care what, what you have. He cares what has you. So what did the Samaritan have? Luke 10, 34-35 says, He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring out oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. 
And the next day he took out two denarii and gave the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you. I don't want to get hyper-spiritual on you, but look at this inventory. We've got oil. That's the anointing. We've got wine. That's the blood. An animal. It's practical. It helps. Money. That's provision. He takes the broken man to an inn, foots the bill, accepts the responsibility for future charges. That's selfless. Like, can you imagine putting up somebody you don't know that you found on the side of the road up in a hotel with your credit card on, on file and whatever they get, it's on you. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if I want to do that. Right? That's, that's our instant reaction. It's like, I don't know. Like, like, we have a hard time giving a dollar to a homeless man on a corner, let alone being like, let me put you up in, in this nice hotel for a week with my credit card on file. Whatever you want, it's yours. There's no record of my oil or my wine or my donkey or my money. All we see coming out of that Samaritan was how can I be of service? I got time, I got treasure, I got you, broken man. Don't give up. I'm convinced that the story of the Good Samaritan has nothing to do with identifying your neighbor and everything to do with understanding the heart of God. See, we took inventory of what he had in Scripture, but there's one more thing that he had, and it's everything. It's everything. So verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Compassion is what moves you out of selfishness and into service. Are you having compassion for your brother, for your fellow man? Matthew 9.36, and when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion is what moved the heart of Jesus into service. Let's look at another time when Jesus had compassion in the rich young ruler, Mark 10.21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Not only does compassion have the power to move you from selfishness to service, it has the power to offer the same to, the other, to others around you. When you're operating in compassion and moving from selfishness to service, it gives you opportunities to do the same thing for other people. The Samaritan had compassion, and the compassion caused him to move beyond selfishness into a place where he could not, not only be a blessing, but save a life. The priest, the Levite, they were too concerned with themselves, with their own lives, and with their titles. The word entitle is one we hear a lot these days, right? Like, I, I, I especially hear it when, it when it comes from generation to speaking to generation, right? Like, oh, they're just entitled, right? It, but it has two meanings. Entitled, meaning one, believing oneself to be inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. 
Number two, a things identifier. Isn't it interesting how when you compare the priest and the Levite to the Samaritan, you find that two of them lived for the title, but only one of them lived out the title? The priest and and the Levite, it, it was all about the title that was given to them. So they had to look the part, walk the part, do the things that would keep them the part. But the Samaritan was the one that was acting like a priest. Which one do you want to be known for? Being selfish or selfless? Being served or being a servant? Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man cannot came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. I need to tell you one more thing about the Good Samaritan that we simply can't overlook. Let's look at verse 33 one more time. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Did you see it? And when he saw him, when he saw him, we get hyped about his inventory, his compassion to help, but it all started with his willingness to look outside the circle around his feet. Are you in a place where you're seeing the people that are going through it and having a hard time because you're looking outside your circle to identify them? So you can step outside that circle and be like the Good Samaritan and go and show compassion and love them and bring them to a place where they see the goodness of God through your representation. When we're focusing inside the circle, we are blind to what is outside of it. This idea plays a pretty huge role in the story of the Good Samaritan, but it all started 800 years earlier. In 2 Kings 6, the king of Syria, enemy of Israel, was frustrated because God was telling Elijah every move before he made it. He was like trying to do stuff, and God's like, nah, dog. Like, let me just tell my boy Elisha over here. And so Elijah was putting an end to it. So the king wanted to kill Elisha, who was in Dothan with his servant. And this is where we pick up the story, 2 Kings 6, 14 through 20, 23. So he so he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning, he went out and behold, the army with the horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, master, what shall we do? And he said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed, over, prayed and said, O Lord, please open the eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened his eye, the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. This is huge, and this is something that we need to embrace. When all, you're focus, when all you are focusing on is inside the circle, you miss the blessing of what is outside the circle. We miss the blessing. The servant was thinking inside, but Elisha was thinking outside. Why? Why? Because unlike the servant 
Elisha knew that his help didn't come from inside, but it came from outside. Our help comes from outside the circle. We have to get out of it and look at it and find it. Inside the circle, thinking makes you blind. It makes us blind. But there's more to this story. In verse 18, we see, And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. Like, can you imagine? They're coming down the mountain, and he's like, blind. And they just like, oh, no, I can't see. Like, that's just funny to me. Sorry. I just see. Like, they're just riding horses, and they're like, ah! Like, anyways, sorry. It's just funny mental image to me. I apologize. Um, and so please strike them with blindness. So he struck them with, blind, with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man who you, whom you seek. They were seeking him. And he's like, I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. You know, like, he's like, I got you. And they're like, aren't you the dude? No. And, and he, he led them to Samaria. See, Elisha led them back to Samaria, the capital city of the kingdom of Israel, in an unfriendly place for a group of Syrian soldiers. But also the very home of the good neighbor we've been talking about this whole message. So verse 20. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of the men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Can I just say like him being able to be like blind, not blind. Like that's just crazy to me. Anyways, um, and so the Lord opened their eyes. As soon as they, as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elijah, my father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? And he answered, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those who you've taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. Instead of killing the enemy soldiers, Elisha instead commanded the king of Israel to treat them with kindness and generosity. This practice of answering evil with good successfully changed the policy of freelance raiders from Syria. Imagine with me for a moment that our good Samaritan was simply operating by the same kindness and generosity that stopped the raids 800 years before. My point is this, we know exactly what inside the circle does in you. Selfishness, idolatry, castle-mindedness, ignoring those in need. But we also know what outside the circle does in you. Compassion, concern, service, selflessness, kindness, not revenge, generosity, not greed, vision, not blindness. We're so blinded by the fact that we need to fix what's in the circle that it keeps us there. It keeps us in the enemy's plan instead of walking out what God has for us. And if we could just get past this moment of a little bit of discomfort, we could have experiences that change everything. Man, I, I told you guys earlier about like the whole like my phone call and 911 thing. 
But what you guys don't know is, is for me, skiing this time was a big deal. Because last time I went, I skied, I hurt my, I jacked up my knee, I didn't ever want to do it again. This time, I like got pressured into it by my in-laws, and they're like, you're going to do it. And I was like, yes, sir. Like, you know? And, and so, so I went, and the first day, I was having fun, I was having a blast. I couldn't quite like stop myself right, so I kept falling a lot. And, and then I didn't go the next day because I was hurting. <laughs> and then... I went the third day, and man, I was, my first trip down, I fell hard. My second one down, I fell hard. My third one down is when I called 911 on accident, right? And on that one, I landed on my shoulder, and like, I, I hurt my shoulder. And I, I remember like putting up my skis on the little rack right there and sitting on a bench, and having an internal war on if I was going to do it again. And in that moment, I, the, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. You've got to do hard things. You've got to do hard things. And it was like in that moment, I, w- like I was br- bumping up against the edge of the circle. And it's like... I'm 30, I don't need to get hurt to ski, like, I'm good, I don't need to do this, right? Like, there, I don't have anything to prove to anybody. And it was like, the Holy Spirit was like, kind of provoked me a little bit, and was like, no, you do. Because if you can do this hard thing, imagine the, when a real hard thing comes up. Imagine when a life situation that you have to push through comes up, you will have the ability to not quit and get to the other side. And so I stepped out, out outside that circle, clicked my skis back on, got on the ski lift, went up the mountain, and then I got it. And I got it, and I got it, and I got and I just kept getting it. It was like, oh, I can ski now. Like that, that was, all right, like, whoo, you know? But it took this moment where there was something in me. I know this sounds silly and crazy that God used skiing to break this like thing in me, but it's true. God did something in that moment that any time a situation comes up now, I can look at it and be like, nope. If God can handle it in skiing, I know he can handle it here. Because skiing doesn't matter. There's no life implications on skiing. But in that moment, he spoke to me, and I stepped out of my circle, and now there's something that I can do that I couldn't do before. And so it shows me that I can go out and do what he wants me to do, even if I've never done it before. I just got to keep going and keep fighting and keep working. So here's my big question for you today. What can God do today to help you see outside the circle? He brought a Samaritan to a broken person needing help. He might put you in a situation where you have to choose selfishness or service. What are you going to choose? And just some advice from some of the best habit creators and leaders out there. They say make your decision before you get to the moment you have to decide so you have a plan to make the decision. But It isn't lost on me that the Samaritan didn't just choose in a moment to help. It had to be a lifestyle of looking outside the circle. 
It was who he was. It wasn't like there was just this one moment where he was Scrooge McDuck all the time, swimming in his coins, and then one day he was like, I should help this man. No, like, that was his lifestyle. That was who he was. Maybe if he had just gotten the guy some help, we could say it was a snap decision. But he went over and above to prioritize a perfect stranger. Over and above. That's like Chick-fil-A over and above. Like my pleasure over and above. That says to me that there's a heart in there that knew God. So perhaps the best thing we can do today is not just what can God do today to help you see out the circle, but ask, change my heart, Father. Open my eyes. Help me see what is outside the circle so I can abandon selfishness and embrace service. Because that's what we have to do. And service hurts sometimes. It hurts it, it feels like it puts your flesh under a microscope and you can feel it squirming sometimes. You can feel it hurting. You can feel it not enjoying what you're about to do. But the moment you take that first step, your spirit comes in and it meets with the Holy Spirit and there's this overwhelming joy and love and peace that God gives you that you don't even remember what was on the si- on the other side. So let's pray. Heavenly Father God, you're so good to us, Lord. God, we want to be like you. We want to to serve your people. We want to embrace outside the circle living. We want to be your representation here on earth as 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, Lord. God, and we pray that you would pour out your spirit on us. We pray that we would be with you, that we would be changed by you, God. We pray, God, that you would empower us with the courage to step outside that circle, that no matter what we're feeling, no matter what condemnation that says we can't do it, no matter what the enemy is trying to do to hold us back from that purpose and potential, Lord, that we would step into what you want for us. God, that would be changed by you. That we would see you. That we would know you. God, and we would would live out sacrificial service for the remainder of our days. In Jesus' name, everybody say. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and His people to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com slash connect. For more info on freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.